welcome to Rights, Rorts and Rants. Uh, this is Fran Dyson with you. Um, we have a great program lined up for today. With us in the studio right now, we have Mike Holland. And Mike's going to do uh, quite a lot of stuff on the rule of law, and in particular, um, the Attorney General's idea of the rule of law. So we've heard a lot about the rule of law, both from Scott Morrison and Christian Porter, in recent months. What's meant by the rule of law? Now, as the legal system developed, it identified a series of legal principles or rights known as the rule of law. For example, uh, the a right to a trial by jury, to be tried not by the king or the nobles, but by your 12 of your peers, and also a right to silence. So what are the basic rule of law principles that we have today? Once the basic ones that exist today is we have laws that, that have to be followed and have to be enforced. There's a quality above the, uh, uh, before the law. No-one's above the law. No-one's so important that they can't be answerable to the law. The one exception, mind you, is uh, the, the, the Queen of England. She's, she's immune from prosecution, but she's <laughs> the only one. Right? There's also a, there has to be a system of open justice, open courts. Uh, there have got to be checks and balances on the use of power. And, importantly, there's a presumption of innocence. So, <clears throat> essentially, the rule of law requires that our legal system and the government should pro provide just outcomes when a person is brought before a court, consistent, fair and impartial decisions about legal matters, protection of individual rights and freedoms, ways to settle disputes between parties according to the law, and laws that are knowable, followable and, and, and fit for purpose. So coming back to Christian Porter, surely he's entitled to the application of the rule of law? Well. He hasn't been charged, and uh, certainly he's entitled to the presumption of innocence. That's one of the basic uh, rule of law principles. Uh, he's facing the real difficulty of guilt by association in the public domain, and perhaps he'd like to be charged so that he could clear his name. But look, the other issue there is that there's a, one of the other rules of law is the right to silence. Mm -hmm. And an accused person does not have to go in the witness box at a trial and give evidence to deny the case that's made out against them. So is this uh, similar to the Fifth Amendment in the US? It's similar to yeah, the yeah, yeah, take yeah. the Fifth in the United States. Yeah. So the, the, it's an unfortunate situation in that the alleged victim has tragically taken her life and the reality is that a prosecution in this case would have great difficulty in proving the case beyond a reasonable doubt. So for all parties, the, the family members and friends of, of the... Uh, um, of the alleged victim and uh, Porter, it's, it's basically it's a loss-loss situation. In relation to the former Attorney-General's overall attitude to the sanctity of the rule of law, are there any other issues that we could look at then? Well, there's a couple of things we could look at. Uh, in 2018, uh, Christian Porter tabled a discussion paper on a proposed federal ICAC, uh, and there were over 300 public submissions attacking the AG's discussion paper proposals. And despite a lot of public pressure, no federal ICAC bill was forthcoming in the next two years. And there was quite a lot of pressure. And in fact, mm -hmm. um, I found something else uh, today. On the 21st of October last year, 2020, Scott Morrison told the Parliament, in, in response to the public pressure for uh, the federal ICAC bill to be brought before the Parliament, he said, I'm not going to have one public servant divest, diverted from the task of managing the pandemic to deal with ICAC. Uh, about f six days later, Helen Haynes, the independent 
member for India in Victoria, introduced a bill to establish an Australian Federal Integrity Commission. And the Haynes Bill was drafted following extensive consultation with the judges, legal ethicists, legal academics, law enforcement organisations, civil society leaders and MPs from across the parliament. So it had a wide range of support, assistance in the drafting of that bill. And then, lo and behold, seven days later, after Haynes tabled her bill, the Attorney-General published his draft Commonwealth Commission Integrity Bill for consultation just seven days later. And, I, and I've just, I'd love to have been a fly on the wall, friend, in Scott Morrison's office when he called Christian Porter right, uh, on, uh, in, in late October to say, what are you doing? I just told Parliament that we, we couldn't spare the public service to do this. The problem for Haynes is that the selection of bills uh, for consideration by the House of Representatives is controlled by the government, and it's only with the consent of the government that a bill can be debated in the House. So uh, the bill, uh, the, the government won't consent to Haynes' bill being debated. So it, it, it just sits there. And interestingly enough, when I was looking on the um, the federal parliamentary website of bills that have been ta ta tabled but not debated, I found a bill from 2017 by the Greens, uh, also proposing a federal integrity commission in nearly four years. So uh, interesting too, some other research I got from the parliamentary website was there's been 1,370 private senators and members bills introduced in the 116 years of the federal parliament to date, and so far just 28 have got through. So that's a success rate of, of 2%. Now, um, one of the other things that I looked into was what's happening now with the Porterville. What happened was uh, it invited public submissions into the draft legislation between November 2020 and the 12th of February this year. Um, and the Attorney General's Department said that the feedback from these submissions will help inform the development and the implementation of the Criminal Integrity Commission. Now, the AG's department's received over 300 submissions. What they've done is they've published 76 to date. Mm -hmm. um, and those, I've had a quick look through those. They, they range from dozens of anonymous individuals to retired judges, universities, various law groups, churches, academics, police groups. Mm -hmm. A lot of police groups supported uh, um, the Haynes Bill, by the way, and, and media outlets. So what's happened is that... Um, uh, they are still uh, waiting to publish the remaining submissions and we've got to wait to see what happens after that. And when will they be published? We don't know. We don't know. Now, but interestingly enough, um, it, it's, uh, it's stirred up a bit of a hornet's nest because in the Canberra Times in December uh, last year, December the 2nd, they said, um, there was an article that said, the Senate's poised to reject the proposed, proposed the, sorry, the proposal, if key changes are not made between now and March, that's changes to the Porter's Bill. Mm -hmm. uh, the Tasmanian Independent, Andrew Wilkie, urged coalition MPs to put the public interest ahead of the party and be prepared to cross the floor over the issues. And the article further stated that an unlikely coalition of parliamentarians, former judges and police have appealed to members of the Morrison government to cross the floor over the flawed proposal for a National Integrity Commission. Now, this is really interesting. Guess who's supporting that proposal to cross the floor? Former, uh, um, it's, it's Helen Haynes, of course, Andrew Wilkie, Rex Patrick, Rebecca Sharkey, Mark Gravis, 
Zali Stegel, Jackie Lambie, and guess who else? Bob Catter and uh, Pauline Hanson. Yeah, yeah. All criticised That's the right. government's yeah. model of this anti-corruption watchdog. So I guess if those two, those, those two last people, Catter and Hanson, have criticised it, there's got to be something wrong. Anyway, so look, at the fact is it could sit there for years. But the problem with the proposed federal uh, uh, integrity commission bill is it's, it's a, a really weak model. Um, under the bill, for example, the investigation of corrupt politicians and most public servants will be held in the seat. Uh, this group includes Commonwealth service providers, so it could be healthcare providers, and their subcontractors. So uh, the findings won't be made public. There's no scope for members of the public or journalists or whistleblowers even to raise concerns. So uh, an investigation into corrupt conduct which is very narrowly defined in the, in the Porter Bill, uh, it's got to be triggered by a department's own investigation. If a whistleblower tells the department about something and it decides not to do anything about it, well, that's, it just, it, it's powerless. So um, the scrutiny of the bulk of the public sector, including the parliamentarians and their staff, is restricted to a reasonable suspicion of an actual criminal offence. And as we'll see shortly, I'm going to give some examples of... Um, shady contact, so to speak, none of them get anywhere near that threshold, that criminal threshold. All right, so there's a very high threshold. So the problem is that the government bill, uh, the model, uh, won't help promote public trust in the integrity of the federal parliament, the Commonwealth public sector or our system of government. And the one thing we do know today is more and more people are saying we lack, we, there's a lack of trust in government. So it's a, hardly surprising that the bill's attracted some comments, and I'll just read out some of the comments that people have made. They've said, the, the proposed CIC, it's flawed and compromised. It's a cover-up commission, a commission that will never investigate ministers, a commission that will never investigate members of parliament. It said it actually perpetuates and covers up corrupt conduct. It says it's a sham corruption watchdog, and I love this one, mm. and it's a protection racket for politicians. Imagine that. Clear. One, one uh, um, former New South Wales ICAC commissioner actually called it the, the um, commission you, you have when you don't want to have a commission. Um, so if that Porter Bill is not a contradiction to two of the rule of law principles, namely equality mm. before the law and checks and balances on the use of powers then I just don't know what is. So there's a question mark over his commitment to the rule of law on those issues yeah. with that bill. Are there any other issues that, that give a window into Porter's attitude to the rule of law principles? Um, friend, have you heard of the witness Kay, case of Bernard, yes. Bernard Caleri? Um, it's the, the Attorney General's handling of the Commonwealth prosecution of the witness Kay case and his lawyer Bernard Caleri for breach of national security legislation. Witness Kay was a former Australian secret intelligence officer and Caleri, uh, they're both being prosecuted for exposing a bugging operation against the uh, Timor-Leste, the East Timor government for Australia's commercial gain during the oil negotiation, oil and gas negotiations in 2004 between Australia and East Timor. And the problem was that the bugging, what happened was the ACES team that was led by Witness Kay, he was the leader of the team, they broke into the Timor-Leste Parliament and they bugged the Cabinet office so that Australia had access to all of the uh, private deliberations of their negotiating team. Later, he, he, he had a deep sense of, of guilt and uh, so he later blew the whistle on that witness, Kay.
Now, Caleri was his lawyer who also allegedly released confidential government information. But the thing was that their, the information that they released helped Timor Leste mount a case against the Australian government in The Hague, and, and that eventually led to a renegotiation of the Timor Gap Treaty and a much better deal for Timor Leste. Following that uh, settlement, though, when the deal was completed uh, with Australia and East and uh, Timor Leste, the, the Australian government launched the prosecutions against both Witness Kay and uh, Bernard Cleary for disclosing the intelligence information. Now, both of these people face lengthy prison sentences if they're convicted. The prosecution's under the National Security Information Act, but that act requires the Director of Commonwealth Director of Public Prosecutions to deem that the prosecution is in the public interest. Before the, the, the director can launch that, the director needs the permission of the Commonwealth Attorney General. Uh, the AG must sign off on that and say, yes, it is in the, uh, in the public interest. The reporter did sign off. So the thing was, we've got to realise that he had a discretion on whether or not to sign off. Now, Nick Cowdery, who's a former uh, Director of Public Prosecutions in New South Wales, this is what he said about the sign-off. He said, both, both are being prosecuted, that's uh, the, the defendants, are being prosecuted in a way that serves to undermine the community's confidence in the criminal justice process, uh, without which it is weakened and, and may fail. He said, what messages does it give, send to the public that we should always turn a blind eye to official misconduct? Uh, that if we do blow the whistle, uh, that we can expect no support, and even worse, from authorities. He said, the electors of the Commonwealth have a right to know if our government has done the wrong thing in our name. And I think that's a fair enough comment. And he said also, he said, he was seriously concerned that the Attorney-General, who was a member of the same party in power at the time of the 2014 bugging operation, was able to exercise discretion by giving his consent to the prosecutions. He said, what happened to independent prosecutions? Which is another principle of the rule of law. The thing in the witness case, it's even got worse, because as the trial preparation has progressed, um, the government, well, sorry, the DPP made an application to have the trial held in secret. And Pauline Wright from the Law Council of Australia said, the uh, National Security uh, Act offends the principle of open justice and said that holding court openly and not behind closed doors was a basic rule of common law. It's startling, I think, to learn that a party also, in this case, can be forced to leave the courtroom before confidential information is canvassed during the trial. So that includes the accused person, the, the prosecution can make an application for the accused person or their lawyer to be sent out of the court so they can't hear the but confidential information. How can the accused person give instructions or answer yes. the case against them? So that's, a, that, that's, that's complete. That, that is yeah. so contradictory to the basic principles of the rule, yeah. rule of law. And the other thing that happened too is that the defence team made, made an application for, dis, for discovery or they asked the government to produce documents. Now there's an, another legal principle that says if a party has documents that are damaging to its case, it must disclose those to mm -hmm. the other side. That's mm -hmm. a basic principle known in discovery. Now, um, 
they made an application to get uh, uh, documents uh, for the defence so they could prepare their defence, and those were knocked back on the, the grounds that the documents were cabinet in confidence. This fundamental rule or principle that cabinet in confidence is, is, is uh, yeah. but not the rule of law. And the other thing that happened just recently was that Caleri made an application for a certain senior counsel, a well-known uh, senior counsel in Australia, to represent him, and the government tried to block that. So he was even, they even attempting to block his use of a lawyer of his choice. A, a woman by the name of uh, Anania Walsh, Welsh, she was the lawyer who helped draft the National Security Information Act uh, back in 2004. And that, she said that was amid the global war on terror. And she said the act was really designed to allow the use of protected intelligence information in the prosecution of terrorists. And she said, look, witness Kay and Caleri are decidedly not terrorists, she said. And personally, I don't think they qualify as danger, dangerous individuals. So it, 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 does make, it does make you wonder uh, what's going on. And yeah. certainly, I think, in summary, you, you, you've got to say uh, that uh, an ICAC that's a, a protection rack for politicians uh, or the sponsor of a bill that's doing that and, and somebody who prosecutes somebody in secret or wants to have them prosecuted in secret has a different view 